This episode of No Place Like Home is being brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our 3 million members and supporters working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. And now on to this episode of No Place Like Home. Hi, I'm Anna Jane Joyner, a climate activist living on the Gulf Coast of Alabama. And I'm Marianne Hitt, director of Sierra Club's Beyond Coal Campaign, living in the West Virginia Hills. And this is No Place Like Home, a podcast that gets to the heart of climate change. Today, we have the gorgeous third episode of our brand new season, All the Climate Feels. How do you feel about that, Marianne? So good because today we are talking about how we take care of ourselves and one another with one of my favorite people, Adrienne Marie Brown, a social justice leader, healer, author, doula, science fiction scholar, philosopher. Y'all are going to love this. But first, Marianne and I have some catching up to do. Hi, Marianne. It's so good to hear your voice. Hi, Anna Jane. Oh, and so good to hear yours. And before we get started, um, we both just want to send our sympathy and our thoughts to everyone in California suffering from the wildfires. Uh, people have had dire air pollution. People have lost their homes. They've lost loved ones, lost pets. And so our hearts are with everyone impacted by those fires and also by the recent hurricanes. And we did want to give you a link to support relief efforts. We're going to put this in the show notes. Uh, the Sierra Club California is accepting donations. A hundred percent of them will go directly to community relief and recovery. So look to the show notes if you would like to make a donation to help folks in California. Yeah, it was crazy. I've been gone for the past month. I've been in Australia and New Zealand speaking at conferences and watching it from over there was just heartbreaking. Um, it felt like watching a movie of a war zone. Um, so please support if you're able, especially during the holidays. I think it's really important to hold each other up and especially those of us who have who've gone through a lot of uh, devastation lately. Yes. Well, it definitely felt like climate change had landed on our doorstep here once again. Um, Meanwhile, you are off in New Zealand, a place that is supposedly going to be resilient enough from climate change that that's where all the Silicon Valley billionaires are going to build their own personal fortresses. So <laughs> yeah. you got a little escape from it all. Um, and I know it's a place that's super important to you personally. So uh, I can't wait to hear a little bit more about it. It was magical. I felt like it was such a huge um, gift from the universe to be invited to come and speak at this conference because New Zealand is, it's kind of like my spiritual home in a lot of ways. Like it's where I um, sort of went from a sorority girl, young Republican to a really passionate environmental activist. It was while I was studying abroad there my sophomore year of college and I hadn't been back for 13 years. Wow. True. The true confessions of Anna Jane Joyner. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Tell I us. Uh, sorority so, girl. <laughs> so what struck you when you went back? What was what was different or what was not different? I think one thing that really struck me is that it still feels um, so alive in that you know, I really fell in in love with the earth there and kind of, you know, decided that I wanted to devote my life to protecting, you know, this place. And, and a lot of it had to do with my connection to that 
that land and that water and those people. And, you know, they call, they say, so I think it's like Celtic spirit, um, Celtic Christians refer to places like that as thin places where like your, the connection between the spiritual realm and the, and the kind of physical realm diminishes or evaporates. And you just, you're sort of able to see God and uh, magic in, in a little bit easier. And that's how the whole place just feels so alive to me and so magical. And, and, but another thing that I I sort of recognized when I was there is it's not just New Zealand anymore. Like I, I think I was a little worried that I'd get there and just never want to leave because of how much I love that place. But even while I was there experiencing just the utter beauty and and magic of that place, I I was like, oh, I see this other places too now. Like I see it when I watch the sunsets over the Gulf and um, in the Appalachian Mountains. And my my love and um, ability to see this world as sacred and kind of holy has extended from from just New Zealand. And now when I'm looking, I'm able to see that pretty much anywhere. I love that so much because I bet a lot of our listeners can relate to that too, that there's there's these thin places that are kind of give you this sacred connection to to everything. And that's as much as we're fighting for our kids and working on climate change and um, and our health and you know, people around the world where it's the power of those places that is a big motivator for us as well. So that's beautiful. I'm so glad you got to reconnect with that. Me too. It was, it was really a huge gift. Um, and one other like really powerful thing that I experienced while I was there, I mean, there was lots of things, but one <laughs> that's, that stands out that I'd love to share with you is um, where I lived, I lived on the South Island in a city called Christchurch, which is this beautiful, very British uh, kind of garden city. Um, we were there in their spring, um, and it literally, the whole city just smells like roses and gardenias, and it's um, it, it's just an incredibly beautiful place. So I hadn't been back in 13 years, and a couple of years ago, I think it was seven or eight years ago, there was a really horrible earthquake that literally destroyed half the city. Um, and, you know, 180 people died. And even now, seven or eight years later, um, it's, you know, half the city is a construction zone. And it's it was really hard and heartbreaking because that's where I spent the most time. And it was kind of the the site of um, the of my environmental epiphany was like, you know, studying ecology in, in the Avon River and looking at uh, grasses and birds growing. And I, it was really hard to see it so wrecked and, and, and so changed and having endured, um, you know, frankly, an apocalypse um, that, that just has transformed the city and was caused incredible hurt and, and loss and pain for that community. But one thing that I found so beautiful and also just such a powerful metaphor for rebuilding from, you know, climate destruction is in the way that they're rebuilding, um, they're really integrating the art and architecture and values of the Maori people. And the Maori are the indigenous people of New Zealand. So they're working with the Maori community to even like, you know, the kind of city center is this place called Victoria Square. And when I was there, it's where we would go bar hopping and clubbing. And it was just completely and utterly destroyed. Um, and they're rebuilding that whole couple of blocks as a big community gathering space, which is like a critical component of the Maori culture is their gathering spaces. And for me, it just spoke to like, even though climate change is it's already bringing incredible loss and incredible grief and destruction and harm. But maybe there's a lesson there in how we rebuild and doing it in ways that are more honoring to 
you know, indigenous cultures and values and, and more equitable and, and just across the board. And I think Christchurch is doing that in, in kind of a microcosm in a really beautiful way. Well, that is a very cool story um, that I am definitely going to check into more. And it's also a really powerful thread to this episode and this conversation with Adrienne Marie Brown, who I know you are a fan of. Um, and she is the host of, among her many other incredible gifts, uh, she's a host of a podcast called How to Survive the End of the World with the theme of apocalypse, because even though we are in these crazy chaotic times and feel like we're the first people who have ever perhaps dealt with them, um, some of that comes from uh, our privilege. And the reality is that people have been experiencing apocalypses throughout history, whether it's slavery or colonialism. And we actually have a lot to learn from how people have responded to and built new futures out of the ashes of these apocalypses of the past. So it's such a cool conversation and it it fits in with this season of No Place Like Home, where we're again tapping into the emotional, spiritual uh, side of climate change. Um, and also this season that we're in, the season of Advent, which in the Christian tradition is a time when uh, the days are short and the nights are long. And uh, it's a time of new beginnings and a time when people are looking for new possibilities that can come out of dark times, uh, which, you know, you and I both certainly feel we are in. So a lot of wisdom coming up in this conversation for our times with Adrienne Marie Brown. But first, we have a very special listener tip on staying sane in the face of climate change. And it's all the way from New Zealand. Hi, my name is Olivia and I'm from Auckland, New Zealand. Here's how I'm staying sane in the face of climate change. I do two things. First, I take a seat. I sit on my balcony at my house and I watch our native birds flit around in the trees. And I embrace the beauty in the present moment. I don't think about the future. Secondly, after I have taken a seat, I take a stand. I stand up for what I believe in and I fight for action on climate change. I join rallies, I sign petitions, and I join action groups. And this gives me real hope for change in the future. excited about this interview you did with Adrienne Marie Brown. I'm obsessed with her and her podcast. So how did you meet her and what drew you to her? Well, Adrienne and I met long ago uh, when we were baby activists, or at least I was baby activist in some meetings around climate, maybe 10, 15 maybe even 20 years ago. Uh, but when I met her, she was the executive director of the Ruckus Society, which was an organization teaching people about the fine American tradition of civil disobedience and social movements. And uh, we were both singers and became friends. And I have followed her work through the years and thought she would be a great fit for this season. What is it about her and her work that makes you feel like she's a, somebody we want to talk to about all the climate feels? Well, she is not only an incredible social justice leader and healer and movement 
uh, thinker, but she is also a profoundly spiritual person and shares a lot on social media, Instagram and elsewhere uh, about self-care, about science fiction and the creative possibilities that opens up for us to imagine new worlds. Uh, she shares a lot about um, how she is navigating personally, sort of at the spiritual and emotional level, all these difficult times. Um, and she has written a book called Emergent Strategy, which we'll talk more about later, uh, that, that is helping activists apply some of what she's learning. But she also has a podcast. It's called How to Survive the End of the World. It's with her sister, Autumn. I'm Autumn Brown, a queer science fiction writer, a theologian, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements living in rural Minnesota. I'm Adrian Marie Brown, a 40-year-old <laughs> living in Detroit. <laughs> and this is our podcast, How to Get Away with Murder. <laughs> And this is How to Survive the End of the World, our podcast on surviving apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. So their show is based on the idea that that throughout human history, people have survived apocalypses and we can learn from that uh, as we continue to survive them. So uh, let's hear a little bit more from Adrian. My sister Autumn and I... Um, have been obsessed with apocalypse um, for as long as we can remember. Um, just really, I, you know, I think it's something that a lot of people, if you're kind of an awakened person and paying attention to the patterns of the world, it, it quickly becomes clear, like we are having an impact on this planet um, that is marked and measurable and devastating when you really start to pay attention to it. And it can get really scary uh, to be like, what if all of this ends? What if the way we know the world ends? And um, in our conversations, you know, Autumn and I just kept hitting this place of like, well, you know, people have been through this before, you know, slavery, um, you know, getting enslaved, getting taken from, from one home and brought to a strange land in order to work that land is totally an apocalypse of, of an entire way of being, an entire culture, entire tribes um, were upended and in some cases um, decimated by that process. So there's a way that, you know, we were kind of obsessing with this and then it just felt like in this time, what else is there to really talk about? <laughs> At some level, it's like, this is the main thing that's happening to us right now. Um, and it's happening on so many different levels. You know, there's at the cultural level, there's um, the Me Too movement and there's this, what feels like an apocalypse of patriarchy, an apocalypse of like the way the gender has played out. And then on a global land level, there's this climate crisis that we're in um, that is changing all the time, but we can feel the impacts of it. We live in a post-Katrina, post-Rita, um, you know, a world where like hurricanes and natural disasters are happening all the time. And then you layer on top of that what's happening with our government systems right now. And it just feels like this is what we need to be talking about. Hmm. I remember one of the things that gave me a, or like kind of heartened me or gave me a lot of courage as I was going through the dark period after the election of President Trump um, was coming across the the kind of the Latin root meaning of the word apocalypse. It actually means to uncover or to reveal. 
basically it's like an, a revelation or an uncovering that is destructive to, to one way of life, but again, sort of allows for the possibility of, of rebirth, of, of new ways of living. And so while you're going through it, it feels absolutely horrifying and terrifying, like you would imagine, you know, death or, or an ending would feel, but uh, you never know what's going to come out the other side. And and I love that idea of of like when you're going through these really dark periods, either individually or as a society, thinking of it as sort of a revelation, not just an ending. In our conversation, we also talked about things being revealed in these kinds of times, and especially for those of us who are white or in other and in other ways privileged. Uh, a lot of what we're coming to understand through these times that we're in is something that people of color have understood for far longer. So when you're a person of color or someone with, of less privilege in our, in our country and in our society, uh, the things that are being revealed to others are things that you've known a long time. And focusing on, as we're in this season, focusing on the emotional and psychological components of climate change, and those of us who are responding with shock and horror um, maybe be waking up to things for the first time that other people have known all along. So she shared some of that um, with with me in our conversation. You know, one of the things I said last year that just kind of keeps coming back to the forefront of my mind and my heart as I look at what's happening is this idea that things are not getting worse, um, but they are getting uncovered and that we must hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil. And I think this is most true actually for those who have lived privileged existences um, where you know if you've lived in a situation in which um, you have not seen how bad things are getting, you have not had to come in contact with the kind of harms that are playing out, then of course it's gonna be really devastating. It's gonna seem like, oh, this is such a mess. But if you've been living as an undocumented person or someone under the poverty line or as a black person or as an indigenous person, um, you know, or as an Arab in this country, if you've been living in those bodies or in those narratives, then you already know um, that it's it's really bad and you've already been trying to survive for some time. And so I, I often say we want to be really open and generous with those who are showing up later in the game um, because we, you know, on an organizing level, we don't have all the people <laughs> that we need activated in order to to affect the kind of changes that we need, right? So we don't have the scale of people power that quite matches the scale of crisis. Um, and so when people show up, we want to say, welcome, you know, thank goodness that you, you know, figured out <laughs> what was going on and that you have decided to show up. And then I think for folks who are showing up, it's just this continuous um, balance to strike of saying, you know, yes, you're here. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And also you're not the center of this moment. So you can hear how we're weaving together, uh, you know, people's experience of privilege uh, with the activism that is necessary to respond to the moment that we're in on everyone's part, um, whether you've been living in an apocalypse or you're just waking up to one. Um, but we also, you know, it's it's hard. <laughs> that was one of the main reasons that I wanted to to talk with her is because with that vantage point, then how do we navigate 
through the fact that th- this is just hard work to do right now. Yeah, I would I would love to hear more about where Adrienne Marie Brown you know finds um, courage and ways to move forward and stay positive in the midst of all these uh, apocalypses. Well, you know, one that might surprise folks uh, is science fiction has been a big force in her life. Um, Octavia Butler, who is a black science fiction writer, has been an incredible influence on her thinking and her life. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, we're saying the system is broken. It We need a new one. We need to envision a new future. And that is in her view, kind of what science fiction has given her the creative license to do is envision new futures that are better than the one that we find ourselves in. I love that so much. I think it's like part of the power of storytelling and art and creativity is using the imagination to um, to envision what different futures look like. And I know my dad um, was is still pretty obsessed with Star Trek. So we watched we watched a lot of Star Trek <laughs> growing up. And one of the things, you know, looking back on that is there were several characters, African-American women characters who were leaders and they were explorers. And that was during a time when when it really showed a new generation of African-American youth that that was, you know, those kinds of, of roles of explorer and scientist and leader were possible. And it, it was a way that that fiction or science fiction created new opportunities in, in the real world. And I think that's so exciting. And I love that that she's really into that. Well, let's listen to her uh, talk more about that, because one of the things she said that I thought was really interesting, that um, at some level, we are all even now currently living in a world someone else invented. It's essentially someone else's science fiction. It's not like white people are actually superior to anyone. That is someone's science fiction. That is someone's view of a world that they wanted to see, and they worked hard to manifest that world, right? And to keep that world moving. The same thing with the idea that men are somehow superior to women and should own us or should dictate what we wear or should be 90% of the elected officials in our country or any of those things, right? It's like we live in this world that someone else projected. So if we want to see something different, then science fiction is a great way to actually start getting involved and thinking like, what is that other world? How would it work? And that to me feels like the, the heart of it these days is like, we are living in a crisis because of what has already been done. And so a lot of our work has to be on stretching our imaginations and flexing our creation muscles so that we can begin to find new ways to be with each other um, and new ways that draw on the old ways, but new ways that also um, that also acknowledge the new intersections that are happening. It's like we're all in touch with each other now in a way that we've never been before. How can that be the greatest strength of our times? I do think sometimes that as activists, <laughs> we can, uh, and I'm critiquing myself here as well as, as everyone in this amazing community, but we do focus a little bit on the destruction and the, and the kind of the, the sad and scary parts of, of this work, and also a little bit on the past. Like I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and I was like, what is the, like, the climate story that we want to see? Like, what is that story of a better world that we want to be telling. And we both like sort of struggled to come up with it. Like, I don't, I think we could be um, kind of of imagining and and this new world and telling this story in more exciting and epic ways. Cause I I do 
uh, what little glimpses I've had of it, it's actually a really beautiful uh, world. And I, and I want to create what that looks like and actually start manifesting it. Well, you know, I think also as climate activists, this is something we really fail to do very well. And I would definitely point everyone to her book, Emergent Strategy, which if I was going to try to describe it in a nutshell, it's kind of a guidebook and a handbook for applying some of these concepts to advocacy and to campaigns for social justice. And the kind of core concept of it that I took away was that sort of, I think she has a quote that small is beautiful, small is all, or something close to that. But basically, uh, the key to being effective at the large scale is to actually deeply understand things at the small community scale and to start thinking about our advocacy as building up from the ground instead of imposing some sort of order up from on high. And also to think about things in a more relational way instead of sort of a linear way. That's sort of our, our kind of Western activist thinking. So, and it, it's very practical. It provides lots of tools about how to think about your campaigns and run your meetings and uh, relate to one another in a, in a healthier way. So definitely I would recommend that to folks if you want to think about how to apply these concepts more in your climate advocacy. Um, how does she handle just the intensity and the weight, um, both emotionally and spiritually of, uh, and psychologically of all of these very heavy subjects? Well, that was one of the main reasons I wanted to have her on the podcast, because I know that a lot of our listeners are really struggling under the weight of this. They say that to us on Twitter. Um, you and I are in touch with them about that all the time. And she had such great wisdom on that. She said, starting with being honest with herself and other people about boundaries and what she can and can't do. And when she can and can't be available, she has been a mentor to me in that. Um, and really learning how to say no, when you are a person just who wants to say yes to everything all the time, which I am, <laughs> I am definitely one of those people. So that's the first step. Let's listen to her talk about that more. Every system, like no matter how amazing and flexible and enduring it is, Every system, including the human body, needs to rest and to recuperate and to take in and process through trauma and move forward. And I feel like that's something that we don't give ourselves time for right now. Um, we're in a state of like uh, traumatizing days and traumatizing nights. Um, and that's not like a direct trauma is necessarily coming into your house, but we are watching so many traumatic things happen on a regular basis. We're watching our planet be under attack unnecessarily. And so it's like, how do we actually take the time to feel our grief, feel the pain, feel the sadness of that, let it move through, let it move into anger, let it move into action. Um, that to me is also a way that we practice resilience. Yeah. Resting is definitely something I have had to teach myself with the help of a lot of amazing mentors like Adrienne Marie Brown and you, Marianne. But you know, I think as a young activist or most of my career, I was, you know, working insane hours, sleeping little, trying to do everything, feeling the weight of the world. And part of moving down to Alabama in, in, in this kind of new phase of my life, the past couple of years of freelancing and having a little bit more agency over the the work that I do and the kind of projects that I do has been um, just really needing to em embrace rest. Well, I hope, you know, we're entering a season of rest and I hope our listeners will take that to heart. Um, I, I too struggle with actually prioritizing it. Um, and this is a time of year when that is invited. So I encourage folks to do that. Um, she also talks about 
uh, in addition to kind of setting boundaries and protecting that downtime, um, she talked about self-care of her physical body, which again is something that I think a lot of us as activists kind of uh, forget to do, take uh, exercise and eating well and sort of put that put that off to the side as something we're going to do another day. So she sets aside money in her budget for massages and pays attention to what she eats and, and a lot of more great wisdom. One of the ways that I play out my trauma is by eating and like trying to eat in ways that will comfort me and eat in ways that will like calm me. And I recognize it's like, oh, this strategy doesn't really work. <laughs> it's like, it takes care of the immediate, you know, like I'll feel comforted in the short term, but on a long-term level, I'm like, oh, like my body is not responding well to binge eating or ice cream eating or whatever. It's like my body actually wants kale and green things. So that's another piece of the resilience is figuring out how I'm getting in right relationship with what my body actually needs. And then I have all those people who support me. A lot of it is just being able to say, I'm really sad right now, or I'm really hurting right now, or this feels really overwhelming and I don't know how I can move forward. And instead of someone, you know, the the best supporters that I have are not those who are like, no, 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 it's all good. Like you, you keep your head up. You know, the best supporters I have are actually the ones who are like, yep, it is, <laughs> it is really sad right now. And it is really hard right now. And like, let me hold you through that. I think that there's not enough of us who get held and who get space to grieve um, and who get space to really feel what's happening. And in some way, I, you know, I'm still trying to pull it together, but in some way I feel like our actual feeling what's happening is part of the fuel that's needed to create the change. I completely resonate with this. Like the piece about having friends where you can just reach out and just say, look, I'm not doing, I'm not doing okay. And, and they don't try to necessarily tell you that everything's okay. Cause everything's a little bit crazy um, that you can just be real with is so important. And Marianne, you're definitely one of those friends in my life who is, has just meant so much to me. And I, I couldn't be more grateful to have you. Thank you, Anna Jane. I feel the same way about you and that connection is a big reason that we started this podcast. I hope our listeners have folks like that in their lives to help move through uh, a lot of the fear, frankly, that is underneath the surface of a lot of what we're grappling with uh, in these times. And Adrian, uh, Adrian learned a very important lesson about fear um, and the motivation that it can provide with a friend of hers. And I was very honored that she shared this part of the conversation with me. Uh, this is a lesson that she learned from her friend, Alana. And Alana had stage four cancer at the time that we spoke in the interview. And since we spoke, Alana has passed away. And so my deepest sympathy to Adrian and her community for what is a very profound loss. And Adrian uh, shared with me uh, some really powerful wisdom that she had had uh, heard just in the, the prior days from Alana that I, I feel honored to share it with our listeners now. I just got to speak with her the other day, and she was saying that she wishes everyone the fear that she feels right now. Um, and I was just like, whoa, you know, this is, that's such an intense way to, to uh, think. Um, but then I was like, I deeply appreciate it that like, there's something about really feeling fear 
um, that lets you know that you actually really care about something and you really love something and you're really going to fight for it and that it's precious and life is precious and none of it is promised. And and then here you are, you get to fight for it on purpose. Um, and I was so moved by that. And I think that that's a big part of, of this all too, is to have, to sit down and be like, okay, I am really scared. And the reason I'm scared is because I fucking love this planet. <laughs> and I really love like all of my nieces and nephews. And I really love like the next generations I haven't met yet. And I really care about like how my parents grow into old age. And I really care about my friends, you know, um, I love this planet and I really want it to survive and to survive with us as a part of it. I really want us to earn our place on this planet in these ecosystems. I care about it and I'm scared for it. And when I sit with all that, I'm like, oh, wow. Like I feel so enlivened by all that love and all that care and all that longing for the future. And that energizes me for the work that I need to do. That is such an incredibly powerful um, piece of wisdom and story. And I'm, I'm so grateful to Adrienne for sharing it. And I think one of the things that I've heard her say that, that really struck me is that um, grief in a lot of ways is just gratitude. You know, like we feel the sense of fear and loss and grief because we're thankful for this experience and because we love this world and this planet and all the people here. And I love that whenever I'm starting to feel sad about, um, you know, what what we're at risk of losing, what we're already losing, I try to just reframe it as as gratitude for for what you know for this amazing experience and this amazing earth, and, and just use that for fuel to keep fighting um, to protect it. So I'm I'm so so grateful to to you and to Adrian for sharing this story with us. Well, she has on that note, another gift she is uh, giving to the world very soon. It's a new book called Pleasure Activism, and it's about uh, tapping into and connecting with what brings us pleasure and joy and satisfaction and claiming that, uh, because again, as activists, we can so focus on what's going wrong and the the grief and the negative that we sort of allow the joy to pass us by and that actually anchoring ourselves in that joy and that pleasure is a radical act. And it's also an important compass of where we should put our energy and where we should put our focus. And I am really looking forward to that. Um, and I am sure as all of our other uh, listeners who are white knuckling their way through environmental activism uh, can relate. Uh, there's got to be a better way. And I think uh, Adrian's forthcoming book will help point us in that direction. So I'm so excited to share that with, with folks. And thanks, Adrian Marie Brown, a powerhouse. I'm so grateful to have had her on the show. All right, that just about does it for us. Marianne and I want to thank y'all so much for listening. And thanks to the amazing band River Wireless for our theme music. And also to our sponsor, the Sierra Club. And importantly, last but not least, thank you so much, Adrian Marie Brown, for joining us and for such an amazing conversation. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And please also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This really helps us get the word out. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be posting all episodes and updates on future episodes at our Twitter page, which is at NPLH podcast. So follow us there. If you like our show or have any questions, comments, or suggestions, 
tweet at us. Again, we're at NPLH Podcast. And remember, there is no place like home. <laughs>